we are continuing on in our series called Romans. Uh, if you are watching online, thanks for tuning in. I hope that you enjoy this video and that you experience God's presence. But we are in week three of a series on a letter found in the New Testament from a man named Paul called the Apostle Paul um, that he writes to a group of believers in Rome. And Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter is really just to explain Christianity to really lay out a detailed and thorough explanation of what this whole thing is that Jesus started, how to be made right with God, and how we ought to live in light of being made right with God. That's, that's really the grand overarching purpose of Romans. And throughout this series, I hope that this is more than just Sunday messages that you listen to or videos that you watch on YouTube. Really, our goal as a church is that every single one of us would actually engage in reading Romans for ourselves. Every week we kind of challenge you, hey, the first week we read chapters 1 through 4, last week we read chapter 5, this week we'll be reading some other chapters, but here's the thing, we can't possibly go over everything that Paul wrote, I mean, we could just read it line by line, but that'd be kind of boring in a setting like this, so you read it on your own, and I hope that as you do, the things that we don't cover in here, along with what we talk about, I hope that you grow and you experience more of God's presence. I hope that everything that Paul writes in Romans, as we, as we engage in reading the Bible together, that we will have a better understanding of what God did for us through Jesus, that we'll have a better understanding of our relationship with God through Jesus, that we will actually grow closer to him and have a better picture of what this Christianity thing is all about. So we're talking through Romans together as a church, but we are also reading through it as well on our own during the week. Now last week, our founding pastor Kevin uh, walked us through just an incredible explanation of chapter 5. Um, if you were not here for that message or if you haven't watched it online yet, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to watch that message. If you were here or if you have already watched it online, I would highly, 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 highly encourage you to watch that message online because I think, this is just my opinion, but I think that the first two weeks of this series that we've talked about I think that for those of us who are Christians especially, if we never heard another message in our entire lifetimes, we just played those two on repeat over and over again, I think we'd be just fine. I think we'd know what we need to know. I think it would give God the opportunity to work in our lives. I think we would have a better understanding of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is how incredibly important those first two messages have been. And just, I just kind of want to recap and cover what we've talked about those first two weeks before we move into this week. So at the end of the first week, we talked about this. We kind of landed here based on Paul's writing, that we are saved through faith in Jesus. Kevin did this, so I'll do it too. Period. You and I, we are saved or made right with God, connected in a relationship with him. We go to heaven when we die only through faith in Jesus and nothing else. Because every single one of us have sinned. Now, some of us have sinned more, some of us have sinned less, some of us have bigger sins, some of us have smaller sins. But from God's perspective, we're all guilty, we're all sinners, and that sin separates us from him. We aren't right with God on our own. And that's why Jesus is such a big deal, because Jesus takes the penalty for the sins that we've committed and in turn gives us his perfection or his right standing with God. That's why Jesus is the only way to God. That's why there are not multiple ways to get to God. That's why not all religions lead to God, because it's only through faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this was really Paul's emphasis in chapters 1 through 4. We are saved through faith in Jesus 
period, end of story, nothing else. Last week, what Kevin talked about was this, that as far as being right with God goes, if behavior means anything, then Jesus means nothing. You see, we couldn't be right with God. We couldn't, like, become right on our own, and we can't stay right on our own either. It's all Jesus still. If there, when we put our trust in Jesus, we are right with God, and we are right with God as long as our trust stays in Jesus. We don't have to magically live some certain way now. We don't have to perform. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to like say something different or do something different. Jesus, when we put our trust in him, our faith gives us peace with God. A peace with God that lasts through everything. We have access to God anytime we want. We have peace with God if we're getting drunk, if we murder somebody, if we're an adulterer, if we abuse people, if we gossip, if we're proud, if we're ang- fill in the blank with whatever you think the worst possible thing could be. And we are still right with God because of Jesus. Our behaviors before Jesus didn't make us right with him and our behaviors after don't keep us right with him. If behavior means anything, then really what we're saying is, Jesus, you don't mean anything. Then Jesus means nothing. This is Christianity 101. Paul spends the first five chapters of Romans emphasizing this, talking about it from different angles, hammering it over and over and over again, trying to relate with different people groups from Jews and Gentiles and all sorts of different things so that nobody would miss this. This is how we're right with God. Jesus accomplished everything. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. He is the only way to be right with God, to stay right with God. All of that right there. Paul lays out the foundation for Christianity in chapters 1 through 5. And here's the thing. We can't go on until we understand this. Especially where what we're going to read today, chapters 6, 7, and 8. If we don't fully understand chapters 1 through 5, the potential to screw up chapters 6 and on is so great. We can misunderstand it. We can misapply it. We can start to twist Christianity into some rule-based religion again, which is what Jesus came to abolish. We have to have this subtle... This is the horse. The horse has to go before the cart or you're going to get in an accident. And that's what Paul does in the first five chapters of Romans. This is Christianity. This is the pillar. This is 101. Don't build on any foundation except this. We are saved through faith in Jesus. And if behavior means anything as far as being right with God, then Jesus means nothing. I'm telling you, if you're not sure about this yet, if this is your first week here, if you're just exploring Christianity, I would even caution you from reading chapter 6 and on without reading 1 through 5 another 150 times. Okay, maybe not 150, but at least another couple times. Make sure that we understand what Jesus did to make us right with God and that we can't do anything in that sort of area. So that's where we start from. But that's not where Paul ends his letter, okay? It's not just Romans chapter 5. There's 16 chapters. And what Paul goes on to write next Verse 1 of chapter 6, I think is just, it's like the most logical thing to respond to based on his writings in the first five chapters. At the end of chapter 5, we read this last week, hopefully you read it personally yourself, but, but Paul writes things like, hey, the more and more that people sin, the more God's grace abounds. 
The worse that we are, our behavior, the more we sin against God, the more Jesus means to us. And then he starts off chapter 6 with this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Don't you just love how honest this is? This is not, Paul's not trying to pull a fast one over us. He's not trying to trick anybody. He just writes what is the most logical question you could possibly ask. Okay, so chapters one through five, sin, whatever, Jesus paid it all. So if more sin equals more grace, if more sin equals more forgiveness, then I should sin more, right? Because I want more forgiveness. I want more of God's grace. I want more of, you know, God. So, so clearly the way I get more of that is by sinning more, right? And this is just a side note for those of us who are Christians. If you've ever tried to explain salvation to somebody, if you've ever tried to explain Jesus, walk people through, you know, praying a prayer, whatever, and they don't ask something like this, wait, so you mean I can do whatever I want, or I can sin, or I can keep sin? If they don't ask a question like that, I think we've done a poor job at explaining what Jesus did. Because if we really understand how much Faith in Jesus makes us right with God, that we are totally and completely forgiven. If behavior means anything, then Jesus means, if we don't, this is the only logical response to understanding salvation that clearly. That past sin, present sin, future sin, if our trust in Jesus, we are right with God. And so shouldn't we keep on sinning? And then Paul answers this rhetorical question with, I just love this. Of course not. Of course not. Now, I, I like to think, this is just me, this is not thus saith the Lord, but I like to think Paul probably wrote a comma and dummy after it, and then like he erased it, like, ah, oh, I can't put dummy in the Bible. So, of course not, dummy. Don't do that, okay? Don't sin. It's not good for you. Sin is not wise. Sin is not smart. Sin hurts our lives. Sin can hurt other people. Sin has long-lasting effects way beyond what we think it will. Sin, when there's sin in our lives or we're acting in sinful ways, it does not represent the character of God in this world. Of course not, dummy. Don't keep doing that. And as you read throughout, especially chapter 6 this week, you're going to run into a lot of Paul's kind of writing like this. I just want to read a few verses. He says this, Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? He says this in another place. He says, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. One more I want to read. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not, in case you're not getting the picture, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. These are very bold. These are very direct. These are in your face. Don't sin anymore. Don't live that way anymore. You have new life with God through Jesus. Live in a new way. But here's what we have to understand. Please don't miss this. If you only take one thing out of this message today, this is what I hope it is. This is not a have to. We don't have to do this to be right with God. That's why Paul wrote chapters 1 through 5 first. That's why we spent two weeks talking about that first. Because this is not a have to, to be right with God. We are right with God whether we sin or we don't. It has nothing to do with our behaviors. We are right with God through Jesus and Jesus alone. What Paul is writing here, especially in chapter 6, is like the goal now that we've been made right, now that we know that our behaviors don't have anything to do with being right with God, 
Now let's live in a way that honors God, that thanks God, that's grateful for what he's done for us. He's trying to elicit this response in Christians of not, I have to do this, but I want to do this. This is not how Christians have to live. Paul's just writing how Christians ought to live. Think of it like this. If, you had a, if, if we had a $10 million debt, you know, right? None of us, I assume none of us can pay a $10 million debt off. If you do, come talk to me afterwards. I want to be friends. <laughs> but if we had a $10 million debt, right? And some billionaire just came up and wrote a check and said, here you go, scot-free. Wouldn't the natural response to be like, man, thank you so much. What can I possibly do for you? You name it. Like, I will do anything I can for you. I will hang out with you. I'll be your best friends. I'll wash your dog. You name it. What can I do for you? If we had a 50-year sentence in prison, life sentence, no way of getting out, and somebody came up to the judge and said, hey, judge, let them go free. I'll go to prison for them. Wouldn't it just be natural to say, hey, listen, man, I will, I will take care of your kids. I will go to work for you. I will pay your bills. I'll mow your, whatever you want to do, name it for me. And in chapter 6, that's what Paul is trying to get across to people. He flips the table on this whole behavior part of Christianity that we, we keep trying to mess up and we keep trying to like make it behaviors plus Jesus. No, no, none of that at all. We are right with God through Jesus, period. And this is not a have to. This doesn't make us right with God. This doesn't keep us right with God. This doesn't stay, you know, whatever sort of thing. This is just an ought to. We ought to. We ought to live in a way that says, God, I am so grateful for everything that you've done. I want to live in a new way. I want to count myself dead to sin. Why? Because I know that Jesus died for me. And there's a word for this kind of process. It's a Christianese word, but the word is called sanctification. Sanctification, okay? Justification is being right with God. That's what Jesus did for us. He justified us. But sanctification is the process of living that out. It's the process of letting God transform us from the inside out to live a new sort of life, to live. When, when Paul writes all this, do not, do not, don't sin anymore, all this, he's just talking about a goal. Here's where we're headed. Here's what we're going for. We've all had goals. You know, I want to lose 30 pounds, want to start a business, want to repair a relationship, whatever it is. That's what Paul is writing about, this sanctification process. And so chapters 1 through 5 are really justification or being right with God. And chapter 6, especially on, is all about how do we live in light of that. But here's the big problem, and it's a problem for all of us. The problem is, is we can't do that. We, we might say, okay, God, I know I'm right with you. Thank you for all that you've done. I, I might even want to stop sinning. I might want to live a new sort of way. But every single one of us, no matter who you are, how long you've been a Christian, not everybody watching online, we have all failed to do this. And it's not that what God wants is bad or like, you know, whatever sort of thing. Like the goals he has for us, the sanctification thing, where we're headed, God's heart for us, all of that is good, right? We can all agree that's good. It's just we don't have the power to actually follow through with that on our own. And towards the middle of chapter 7, Paul writes what I think are probably some of his most honest words in the entire Bible, maybe a couple of spots, but this, this is up there in the top three with just honesty and authenticity about this struggle that even he faced. He says this, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. You ever been there before? 
I want to do what's right. I know what to do is right. I've even said it, but, but I inevitably end up doing what's wrong. Paul's saying, me too. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And this is just a side note, but if you, if you think that the Bible is old and irrelevant and outdated and has nothing to do with our lives, I just think maybe you haven't read enough. <laughs> maybe you haven't read far enough because this is something that we've all experienced before. Every single human being has experienced this. You don't even have to be a Christian. We've all made promises to ourselves, right? Promises to other people, promises to ourselves. Okay, I'm never going to call that person again. I'm never going to send that text message. I'm never going to go to that place. I'm never going to drink that drink. I'm never going to take another hit. I'm never going to visit another website. I'm never going to, whatever it is, just, just lay it out there. And what have we all done? We've broken those promises, haven't we? I have. I have. We've all done that. We have not even kept our own promises to ourselves, let alone what God wants us to do in Paul's heart of how we ought to live in light of being made right with God. And Paul is just simply writing and trying to connect with that emotion that we've all faced of, man, what a failure. I screwed up again. That guilt and that shame and that condemnation that we put on ourselves. Even the great Apostle Paul, right? This person that we look up to in Christianity is like a hero of the faith. Even he was writing in Romans chapter 7, man, I still struggle with this. I've still got sin issues in my life. And spoiler alert for you, sorry for the bad news. You and I, until we get to heaven, if our faith is in Jesus, we are always going to struggle with sin. Now, maybe not always the same sins, maybe less sins, maybe more, but we are always going to struggle with sin. We were never perfect on our own, and we are never going to be perfect on our own. And I think what Paul writes here is something that we've all faced and got to deal with. It's a dilemma that faces us all, especially after you read chapter 6. After you read, sin no more, don't do this, don't do this. Yeah, but I've discovered this principle that I just can't. I want to, my heart wants to, I'm grateful to God for all he's done, but I am powerless to change myself. I can't, what a miserable person. I feel so horrible. God, I'm sorry I broke a promise again. I'm sorry I didn't follow through with what you say. Is there any help? Can anybody help me here? God, you've already done enough, but like, I just feel so stuck right now. And that's why what Paul writes next is so incredible, so good, because he shares the answer with us. And spoiler alert, the answer is the same answer as week one and week two. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer to this lingering sin issue that we all have, this sanctification process that God wants to go through, this way of how we ought to live, not have to, but ought to, the answer to that struggle is Jesus. It's our relationship with God made possible through Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 8. He says, so now there is no condemnation, okay? Do you know what no means? It means no, it means none, means zilch, zero. Not a little bit, not sometimes, not if your sin is bad enough, then there's some. It means no, absolutely no. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, because we belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, this sin issue and living differently and how we ought to be and even how we might want to be, it's not about gritting our teeth. 
It's not about trying harder. It's not about, oh, i got to force my desire. No, 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 no. It's about a relationship with God made possible. Through. It's about allowing God to work in and through us and transform us from the inside out. Because there's no condemnation, because if we don't get something right or break a promise, God doesn't go, well, you better get it right. No, 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 no. There's no condemnation. Even when we want to put it on ourselves, even when we might feel guilty, even when we want to pour shame, God looks at us through Jesus and says, you are perfect, you are holy, you are right with me. He goes on to say this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. We've all been there. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. What Paul is writing here, when he says letting the Spirit control your mind or being controlled by the Spirit, you know what that means? It just means enjoying your relationship with God. It just means spending time with God, talking to Him, experiencing his presence, being connected to him, reading the Bible, all those different things. That's what Paul is talking about. Because when we do that, that's when God can change us from the inside out. And I, I think here's, here's the issue that for sure all of us who are Christians have struggled with, and maybe this is even a reason that you've hesitated being a Christian, is this. Maybe this whole time with this life change and live differently and sin less, and that all sounds like really rule-based, Maybe, we've, maybe, maybe we need to ask the question, well, who's responsible for the change? Maybe we've been trying harder, better, faster, stronger to like curb our own sinful nature, and maybe it was never ours to curb in the first place. You see, I think something incredible happens when we spend time with God. And I, I, it's not like osmosis, but that's kind of the picture I get in my head. Or like, if you've been around a campfire, right? we've all been around a campfire before. When you're at a campfire... You don't have to try to smell like smoke. You just do, right? You don't have to like move your chair to be in the smoke. You don't have to rub ashes on yourself. You don't have to run circles around the fire pit. When you've been at a campfire, you just smell like smoke. And the same thing happens when we spend time with God. That as we spend time with him, as we talk to him, as we build a relationship with our Heavenly Father, our perspective begins to change. Why? because we've been by a campfire, because we've been by God, because God starts to share and mold and shape our perspective to more line up with his. When we spend time with God, when we are controlled by the Spirit, as Paul writes in Romans, our, our desires begin to change. Why? Because we're powerful? No. Because God's presence, his desires start to become our desires, and inside we just change. As we spend time with God, our values and our priorities and even how we live in this world starts to change as just a result of being connected to God. It's not that we have to tell ourselves to sin less. We just do sin less. It's like when, when we were learning to walk, right? When's the last time you told yourself, don't crawl? Okay, Shaheen, don't crawl, don't crawl. Don't. I don't have to tell myself, don't crawl. I just walk. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. Jesus makes us right with God so that we can have peace with God and have access to him anytime we want. And as we enjoy that new relationship with him, Paul writes, here's where we're headed in chapter 6. Here's the struggle we face. We can't do it on our own. And in chapter 8, 
thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our relationship with him is what moves us forward in these areas. And the end of chapter 8 are some of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible. Um, Many, many people, myself included, have these verses underlined and highlighted. And maybe as you read this week, you want to do the same thing. But listen to what Paul writes about this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Talking about being connected to God, being right, being a child of God, glory, all that sort of stuff. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If the God of the universe, the God who created everything, sent his one and only Son, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own Son, but gave him up for us. Here's another rhetorical question. Won't he also give us anything else, everything else? The wonderful gift of Jesus. The wonderful gift of forgiveness. The wonderful gift of being made right with God. The wonderful gift of having peace with God. The wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. If God has already done so much for us, can't we trust him with the rest? Can't we trust him with this whole sin issue? And like, can't we? God, I know you're good. I know you're awesome. You've done so much for me. I know your heart is for me. And so I'm just going to enjoy you. And God, I'm going to let you do your God thing in me. I've tried myself. I've been powerless. I can't do it. So God, I'm just going to enjoy my relationship and give you permission to do in me what I can't do myself. And in the meantime, while you're working in me, God, while you're working on me until I get to heaven someday, in the meantime, here's what I know that I know that I know that I know that I know for sure. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation, even the fact that we will continue to fail and not live up to standards and goals and all, even that, nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, this whole sin less, live differently, live a new life, this whole sanctification idea, Isn't the way Paul explains it in Romans so much better than what we try to do on our own? Isn't what Paul writes in Romans actual Christian truth better than maybe what we heard growing up or maybe what we hear on TV or maybe what other religions try to teach us? That it wasn't about behaviors to be right with God, it's not about behaviors to have peace with God, and it's not about behaviors still and trying to live in a way that honors. It's all about a relationship with our Heavenly Father made possible through Jesus. Because we couldn't be right on our own, so Jesus came. And because Jesus came, we have access to God whenever we want. And because we have such a wonderful gift is that our hearts are compelled to say, God, I want to live in a way that honors you. But even there we fail. And so thank God, our relationship with him still works in and through us to produce that change. And man, my, my goal, my heart for all of us, myself included, as I read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 this week. As you read that, my heart would be that we understand a relationship with God and not that we have to perform, especially as you read this sin stuff in chapter 6 and all that. My heart is that we would truly understand a relationship with our Heavenly Father. God's desires for us are the best, and He will help us live the life that He wants us to live. Let me pray before we head out. Heavenly Father, um, 
gosh, we have done nothing to deserve you. We have done nothing to deserve to be right with you, to have a relationship with you. And even the fact that we still sin and fall short, just, God, to our own human minds, we feel like what Paul wrote, what a miserable person. I'm sorry I fail. I feel this this guilt and this shame that I, I weigh upon myself. But Father, I pray that your truth would make a difference in our lives. May, may the truth found in Paul's letter free us from that, God. Free us to enjoy you more. Free us to experience you more. And Father, even free us to allow you to work and produce in us the life change that you want. I pray that as we read and as we spend time with you this week, that you would illuminate words to our eyes and to our heart. And Father, more than anything else, may we grow in our relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.